uh, Colossians chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to continue in Colossians. Last week, Paul gives us sort of kind of this, this picture, uh, this mandate to stay rooted and stay grounded in Christ. So he tells us to walk in, stay rooted in, stay grounded in Jesus and, and to be established in our faith. And, and I, I believe firmly when, when believers are rooted deeply in the things of Christ, um, fruits, your fruits, if you're grounded deeply in the things of Christ, your fruits will be plentiful and they'll be visible for the world to see. Amen. So. It, like here's the deal: If the FBI has to do an investigation to figure out whether you belong to Christ or not, that that's a problem. Amen. Like that's that the FBI shouldn't have to get out there. There are calculators and there are computers, and they try to figure out: Is this guy a believer? Is this woman a believer? If you belong to Christ, it should be visible. Psalms chapter. One tells us, uh, verses 1 through 4 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the, seat, uh, in the seat of the sinners, nor waits in the way of the scoffer, but delights in the law of the Lord and his law, and he meditates on the law. And as a result of meditating, being rooted in the word of the law of the Lord and studying it day and night, what happens? He's like a tree, verse 3, he's like a tree planted by streams of water, yet yields fruits in due season. Its leaf does not wither in all that he does, he prospers. Um, Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 8 says the same idea. He's like a tree planted by water that sends its roots deep into the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For the leaves remain green and he's not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cause, because, I'm sorry, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Why is he not anxious? Why is this man in this text in Jeremiah 17, why is he not anxious? Because he's deeply rooted into the soil of Christ. And Christians who bear fruit, Christian, I'm sorry, Christians should bear visible fruits when they're rooted and grounded in Christ. When we're rooted in Jesus, our default position should be a fruit bearer. Amen. That should be our, our default position. So Paul in Colossians chapter 2 verses 6 and 7 gives us this idea. We, we, we touched on it for just a brief moment last weekend. But I wanted to dive a little deeper into the text. So we're going to look at verse 6. It says, therefore, so all the things we talked about in the first five verses of Colossians last week. It says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So we have this, this mandate from Paul in verses 6 and 7 to walk in him. This, this refers to a daily conduct as believers. This is what should, that we should be doing if we follow, if we belong to Christ. It should be a life pattern. It shouldn't be just something that's visible in the room on Sunday mornings. It should be a visible pattern that is established and rooted and grounded and visible to the world around you. To the school you go to, to the, the jobs you have. People should know who you are. 
And when you walk in him, the fruits that will be manifest in our lives will be the fruits of the Holy Spirit. The fruits that come out of us will be the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, what is that found? I'm glad you asked. Um, Galatians chapter 5. So get your Bibles and go over to Galatians chapter 5. I want you to see this. I don't hear anybody's pages turning. I'm assuming everybody's got phones out and they're not on Facebook. But they're um, actually looking at their... Um, they're actually looking at their Bible apps. So that's what I'm hoping, right? Amen. So Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, gives us this idea. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're no longer under the law. Like, I want us to see this. You and I have two natures. When you were born, you were born with a sin nature. You were born with a fleshly nature. Some people, um, um, some preachers call it the old man. The old, the old man or the sin nature that you were born with. And, and this nature wages war against our regenerated nature that was given to us by Jesus on the day of our salvation. The day that the, that the Holy Spirit awakened you to the need and called you and wooed you and brought you back to life. The moment that the Holy Spirit breathed life into your system, you were regenerated and that new system, that new regenerated nature wars against the old sin nature. Because here's the thing, the old fleshly nature, our fleshly nature longs to sin. It loves to sin. It loves to be a part of sin. But when we walk in him, when we're rooted and grounded in him, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Some of you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, well, Caleb, what exactly are the, spirit, the, 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 uh, the desires of the flesh? What are those things? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. You guys are really full of questions today. I'm really excited about that. Um, but the Bible keeps going and tells us what the, the desires of the flesh are in Galatians chapter 5. So look at verse 19. Now, the works of or the desires of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Dr. Brian Chappell says that the reason sin has such a pull and a power over your life is because you love it. It's because you love your sin. That's why you say, man, I wish, why is it that sin has such a pull in my life? Because you love it. Your sin nature loves sin. Bottom line is you love to, your nature, your sin nature, your, the nature you're born with loves to sin. And in it, in and of yourself, you, um, your will succumbs to your sinful nature. Your desire is, your bent is your sinful nature every time. Like, let's, let's just look at some of these, um, this, this grouping of sinful natures. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality. Those are just, we'll just cluster those together. We'll put those all together in one group. Anytime, which is bottom line, anytime there is, 
sex outside of biblical marriage. And I know because I know that the culture has redefined marriage. And, you know, we can marry whatever the heck we want now. Um, biblically, it's one man and one woman, period. Uh, I didn't change. Like, you, well, I don't like that, Caleb. That's not very progressive. I'm just going with what the word of God says. Amen. The word of God says one man, one woman, marriage, sex is okay. Anything outside of that, it is sexual impurities. It is sexual immorality, period. Anything that is outside of the confines of the marriage bed is, is not permitted by God. And the reason that has a pull on some of us, the reason sexual immorality and just, I mean, let's just be honest. God created sex. It's not a bad thing. It's actually a beautiful gift that was created for marriage. For husbands and wives, it was a beautiful gift from the Lord. And Satan has taken what was intended by God as a beautiful gift and turned it into filth. And we're all like, ooh, sex. He said the word sex. Like, it, that's, it's a beautiful, glorious thing that God created. Amen? Amen? Yeah. All right. Only a couple of you like that. All right, cool. Um, but the reason that a lot of this has a pull on some of us is because we love it. We love to be involved in immorality. Like, the pull of it is, is exciting for a moment. But it's not everlasting. We love temporary pleasures over everlasting joy. God is after your joy. He's after your heart. He's after the joys of your heart. He's not after a temporary satisfaction. He's, he's looking. He's got a long view. God's got a long view in your life. And that long view is everlasting joy. Amen. Period. Um, next thing he's got in there is idolatry. And this is a fun one. You know, everybody's like, oh, man, the sex one was tough. Idolatry gets a little tougher. Because this is, this is what idolatry is. Putting anything or everything above the worship of Jesus Christ is idolatry. So, well, Caleb, I don't build golden calves. I don't have any golden idols. I don't have those things. You're right, we don't. But we have, we have self. A lot of us have made God. We are God. How do we know? Because we do what we want and what pleases us. And it's, well, what would please you, Caleb? I don't know. Let me think on that. I'm the God of my own universe, so I'm going to do what I want because I want to do what I want. So we put self as something we worship. We put sports as something we worship. We worship sports all the time. Like we, just, we worship that stuff constantly. Um, hunting, shopping, social media, the internet, family. Sometimes we put our families above Christ. That could be dangerous. We put our house, put our cars Fill in the blank with whatever you saw. Well, Caleb didn't mention mine. Okay, if something is taking the place of Jesus Christ, it's idolatry. And it's wicked and it should be repented of. And this is the next one I I found interesting. It says sorcery. First thing I thought of when I read the word sorcery in the text, I'm thinking witchcraft. Right? Well, I did a little digging and the Greek word there is pharmakeia. Where we get our word pharmacy. What, what else is, what, what do you think of when you think of pharmacy? Drugs. Drugs. Mind altering, the idea is pharmakeia, any type of, and it's in context of idolatry. Worshipping drugs. Worshipping something that changes your state of mind, that gives you physical pleasure by taking it, and a temporary physical pleasure. You say, well, Caleb, that's not a problem in America. <laughs> Uh, almost 21 million Americans have at least one addiction um, to some type of a substance, and only 10% of them are receiving treatment. 
Listen to this. This was insane. This stat that I pulled. Drug overdose deaths have more than tripled since 1990. From 1999 to 2017, more than 700,000 Americans died from an overdose of a drug. I said, well, that's, let's just put it in comparison. 620,000 men lost their lives in the Civil War. Like, you don't think there's a problem there? We've got an issue. Now, you think, well, that's, that's, that's bad, Caleb. Uh, let's see, drug addiction costs the U.S. economy $600 billion with a B. $600 billion every single year. You don't see there's a problem there? Hmm. 2017, 34.2 million Americans committed a DUI um, infraction, 21.4 million under the influence of alcohol, and 12.8 million under the influence of drugs. Here's the idea of this. In context, so he says, this is the work. We're talking about the works of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. When you get involved in an addiction, when you get involved in some sort of addiction, whether it's alcohol, whether it's um, drugs, whether it's sex, whatever, whatever it is, when you get involved in that, it is a, it is a problem. The, the, the idea of this, the desires of the flesh, idolatry, the worship of something other than Christ. And so many people, so many Americans are worshiping stuff. They're worshiping drugs. They're worshiping the, 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 the body. They're worshiping themselves. And, they're, and all the while thinking in the back of their head, I've got no problems in my life. I've got no problem with sin in my world. Yeah, you probably do. Most men and women are worshiping something other than Jesus. We've got a time frame where we give an hour and a half to Jesus here. But when we leave the room, there's not a lot going on. That's a problem. That's a, big, that's a big problem. Why? Because Jesus has been very specific here. And he said, listen, if you're involved in these things, you don't get to go to heaven. How can you say that? Because he said, those that are involved in these things, if you're pulled at and you love to and you just are involved in that constantly, yours is not, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Next one hits a little bit closer to home. When it comes to the idea of desires of the flesh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, and envy. That doesn't apply to anybody in here, right? Just checking. Like the bottom line here, look at this. Is when you can't get along with other people, like Christians should be able to get along with other people. We should be able to get along with other folks. If you, can't get, like, if you can't get along with your family, if you can't get along with friends, if you can't get along with coworkers, if you can't get along with the guy across the street from you, like, if, you can't, if you're fighting constantly, you're constantly always angry, you're always jealous, there's always a fit of rage or an anger or a dissension or a division somewhere in your life, there's sin in your life somewhere. And it needs to be repented of. Like... This is how I know when people are love these, this kind of work of the flesh. Anytime I see a bumper sticker or something that says, I just don't like drama in my life, I know immediately they're lying and that <laughs> drama is something that they love to run into. Like that is a red flag. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, they are definitely. If you have to tell me, A, that, oh, you know, I, you know, I don't love drama whatsoever. You have to tell me that, you probably are involved on it, in, in it somehow on a big time level. Why? Because it makes you feel important. You like to hear the juicy gossip. Who's doing what? 
Did I tell you what sister so-and-so said? Did I tell you what brother said? Oh, that Aaron's across the street. Let me tell you what he's doing. Did, I, did you see what's in his yard? We love to find out the skinny. It makes us feel important. Drama, drama makes people feel important and they run to it. Uh, we're, we're dealing with this one right now. Um, skin color. We, we, we hate, one, like human beings hate one another. Like we just don't like one another. Like I think it's time for us to go back to the old song, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. Like, period. Like, just, let's just leave it at that. Like, I'm just going to trust that God created everyone for a reason and a purpose. And he gave, he put my skin color on me for a reason. He put your skin color on you for a reason. And let's just, like, let's stop trying to analyze and trying to figure out and be like, ah, oh, I'm better. You're better. No, I'm better. No, I'm better. Stop. Stop for two seconds. Stop. We need to know that the God of the universe who created me, he created you. Period. And if we're, if we're always striving and we're jealous and we're envious and we're angry, we have these bursts of anger out, outbursts of anger. Why do we have anger? I posted this just not too long ago and we talked about this last year in James. What does James say? James tells us specifically in the text why people are angry. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. Back to, I want what I want. I'm the God of my own life. I want what I want. And I think if everybody thought like Caleb Gordon, the world would be better. That's not what my wife thinks. Because my wife thinks if everybody thought like her, the world would be better. And if if I took a poll long enough and thought and talked to you long enough, every one of us in the room would say, man, if the world thought more like me, the world would be better. What does that sound like? Why are we fighting with one another? Because we have passions that are at war within us and we have a sin nature that wars against things and wants its right. It sticks its head out and it wants its rights to be recognized. It wants to be recognized so incredibly badly. And so we've got all these works of the flesh. The last one, I don't, it's pretty self-explanatory. Drunkenness and orgies. If I have to explain that one in here, like, I don't think I need to. Like, that's pretty self-explanatory. These are works of the flesh. Drunkenness and orgies. If you don't know what that is, talk to somebody else after church. And I love this. Jesus follows up the text. And he says, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before... Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. A.K.A. you're not going to heaven if you're engaged in this stuff. Because here's what human beings like to do. Is we like to make lists. You say, well, I read through the text. And I'm not committing any of those sins. So I'm good. So Jesus ends it and he just says, okay. Just in case you're a list maker. And things like this. If you're a list maker, you're, you're on my list. There, God just said, okay, I'm going to put everything. I'm going to lump everything in here. If I didn't cover it and stuff like it. So don't do it. People love to put those lists together and say, well, not me. Not me. I'm good. No. The scripture says that none of us are good. That's right. 
And if you're actively engaged in sin, if you're in love with sin, if you're chasing sin and you're engaged in sin, you are in trouble. If you're attempting to run, if you're not attempting to run from sin and rather you're running towards it and you're engaged in it and you're enjoying it because the scripture tells us that there is pleasure in sin for a season. If you don't attempt to run from sin, rather you run headlong into sin, there is trouble coming for you. Because here's the thing, we have to actively wage war on our sin natures. We have to actively wage war on our sin natures. And and what we were born with, and what we were born with is is a sin nature. But we're called by God to take every thought captive. Which means, aka, wage war on your sin. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 6 says this, For although we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience with your obedience when it's complete. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're able to walk in Him. You're able to be grounded in Him. Notice I did not say on your own power. Notice I didn't say by the power of Caleb Gordon, you, are, you have the ability to do whatever you need to do for God. No, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're able to walk this thing out. By the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what you do. You walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. You've been given the ability to take every thought captive and to punish disobedience that shows its ugly, nasty head in your world. When, because here's the thing. Sin begins here in the mind. You have this mind that, that, that crafts this stuff up. It comes together. You're like, man, I, I, we think, we feel, and we, and we go after it. I think I'm thirsty. Man, I I feel like getting a drink. You know what? I will get a drink. In the same way that we think we feel and we will about this stuff, we do the same thing. And God says, when you're rooted and grounded in Christ, you can take every thought captive. So when that sin enters the mind, the, the, the sin is implanted in the brain, and you're like, man, I'd really... I think I'm going to inject this needle. I'm like, I'm just going to use the illustration from the text. I think I'm going to inject this needle in my system. Yeah, I, I feel like I should. Sounds like a great idea. Sounds like it could be fun. That's what we, the whole. You know, like, wait a minute. I'm bought by the. I'm bought by the blood of the lamb. I'm not supposed to do this stuff anymore. By the power of Jesus. No, I'm, no, I'm not going to do this. No, I'm going to walk in the Spirit. I'm not going to do what he, what the what the enemy wants. When when disobedience rears its ugly head in our lives, we can take it captive. When we were like, man, I let me tell you, hey, Gabe, let me, did I tell you what Aaron was doing last week? I saw him. And he looked a little shady. And let me tell you what I know about him. And we start gossiping, we start talking trash. We're bought by the Holy Spirit, right? We're bought by the Holy Spirit. And we were like, wait a minute, before I open my mouth, and spews trash out into Gabe's head, and I'm going to cause him to stumble. I'm going to take my thoughts captive, and I'm going to think before I speak. What grandma used to say, think before you speak. Right? Think before you speak. 
I can take every thought captive because Jesus Christ has bought my heart. He's bought my mind. He's bought me back. I've been redeemed by the power of the blood of the Lamb. So I'm redeemed. I can take every thought captive to obey who? Jesus. I can obey Christ. So what does it look like when we walk in Him? What are the, what are the fruits of the Spirit that are built out and pressed out and fleshed out in our lives when we are grounded in the Word and grounded in Christ? So I'm glad you, I mean, you guys have great questions today. All right, verse 22 of um, Galatians chapter 5. But the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So against such things, there is no law. Well, what does that mean, Caleb? Because here's this, this we've got this, this idea that once we're Christians, the law no longer applies to us. I can tell you the law still applies to Christians. How many times have I been pulled over, pulled over getting up here, honey? If I decide to break the law, there's still consequences. If I live in sin, there are still consequences to my sin. Amen? Amen. So I'm redeemed and there's grace. Yes, there is grace. But if you're actively engaged in sin, there's consequences to your sin. So what happens, rather than letting the flesh be gratified, you walk in the spirit. And when you walk in the spirit, you exude, you show off the fruits of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against these, you're not, against, you're not breaking the law. There's nothing, there's no one, not even God himself will say, how dare you? There is no law when you walk in the, in the power of the Spirit. Those that belong to Christ Jesus, verse 24 tells us in Galatians 5, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passionate desires. You are to crucify your old man. You're to crucify the sinful nature. You're to put those things on the cross and say, no more. It's not... I that live, that it's Christ that lives in me. So when Paul says, walk in him, rooted and grounded and built up in him, and you're establishing your faith, he's saying, this is what Christian life should look like. You should walk in him, and when you walk in him, these are the fruits of the Spirit that are becoming out of you. When, when the Word of God is engrafted into your life, it will bring about fruits that will change your life. If you say you're, if you belong to Jesus and you still live in a sin-filled, nasty lifestyle, there's a problem. Now listen, because some people might think, well, Caleb, are you saying I should be perfect? I'm not saying you should be perfect. We're not there yet. And in this life, you never will be perfect. I will never be perfect. I will stumble. I will fall. I will sin. I will fall. But I will do what God has called me to do. I will live a life of obedience. This is the point of being connected into God's word. We take faithful steps of obedience towards Christ. And Christ loves... Like that's, when you're obedient to Christ and you're walking towards him and you're doing those... Christ, he loves that. Like I, The best illustration I can think of, it's not mine, it's by a guy named Matt Chandler. Um, great illustration. When, and I'll use my own kids as the illustration. Um, when they were little and they started walking, 
Like this is a celebration that, ri- that rivaled my own marriage. Like when our children started to walk. Like there is celebration. There is chaos in the house. The y- parents, do you remember when your kids started walking? Like nobody in the room, like when your kid was walking and he stood up and he took us. There was no father who going, you moron child, what are you doing? Like nobody in the house was like, I can't believe my kid walks like that. What an idiot. Like nobody in the house did that. Everyone, when they took his first couple steps, the parents were like, yes, yes, come on, buddy, come on, you can do it, you can do it. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Right? There was excitement. There was a, oh, there was so much excitement. He he kept going forward. He kept going forward. The same idea is the same with Christ. When you're walking forward in obedience, Christ celebrates those wins with you. He celebrates those wins. He's not up there going, idiot. (laughs) This one's on you, Holy Spirit. Can't believe Tyler. Seriously? Do you see how he just... Like he face planted. Did you see that? Like he's not up there. He's like, it's okay. Guess what? Holy Spirit picks you. You're, you don't pick. A, oh, I'm going to pick myself up. No. He picks you up. Let's keep going, buddy. Let's keep. How many parents remember holding on to your kids? And it wasn't, it wasn't their grip on you. It was your grip on them. You were holding your kid. Oh, come on, buddy. You got this. You got, okay. All right. You got this. Come on, come on. And there was a celebration. The same idea applies for us as believers. Christ, like, he celebrates the win. I'm not saying you're perfect. But I'm saying this. When you're connected into God's word, that's why we stay connected into the word of God. That's why we stay connected into the church. When we're, when we're, in a, or we're committed to the local visible church, this is where we find accountability, community, And fellowship, that's the point of why we're here. Like, that's it. And I think so many of us are so short-sighted when it comes to this particular life where we are right now. And the world and the desires that pull at our affections. Like, you and I are eternal beings. We are eternal in nature. We, when we die here, we keep going. We don't just go, like, this isn't reincarnation or weird stuff where I just go into the dirt and become a tree. Like, I'm eternal, you're eternal in nature, and you will live forever somewhere. And so many of us, I believe, are short-sighted. We're not following Jesus because we're not interested. Like, Jesus is just sort of kind of something, an afterthought I do on Sunday, just something fun I do on the side. No, Christ should be the life-changing, life-transformative person that does, changes everything about who you are. And I've used this illustration a dozen times, but it's still a great illustration. David Platt said this one. If I ran in here late this morning and said, listen, I was run over by a Mack truck this morning. If Aaron had rushed in here this morning, listen, I'm so sorry. He got his guitar in pristine condition and he walked in. He's like, man, I'm so sorry. I was just run over by a Mack truck. Most of us in the room are going to be like, I don't think either A, you don't know what a Mack truck is or you're lying. 
And some of you say you've had an encounter with Jesus, but you don't look any different than you did before. So either you don't know who Jesus really is or you're lying. And so my, my question for us this morning is, if, you're engaged, if you love your sin, if, you love in, if you're engaged in your sin more than you're engaged in the things of Jesus, that's a problem. And like, I often, like, I'm 41, I'll be 42 in November, I often now think about my eternity. I, I realized when I was a teenager and when I was 20, like, I was invincible and there was no way I'm dying. Amen. But as I've, get, as I've gotten older, I think about my eternity. I think about, I might be taking my last breath. Like, the moment you take your last breath, are you absolutely 100% so you're like, man, I know the last breath here, the first breath on the other side, I get to see Jesus. And it's not that Jesus thought I'm going to be like, oh, shoot. I remember hearing about this in church. Or is it going to be like, I've been waiting. <laughs> yes, I've been waiting. I can't wait. I'm so excited. I know who you are. I know. Oh, yes. I'm so excited. Or is it going to be like, oh, man, I don't know. I hope my good outweighs my bad. I'm going to tell you right now, your good will never outweigh your bad. The scripture tells us that your righteous deeds are as filthy, disgusting rags in his sight. The only way you get into heaven unscathed is by the grace and the mercy of Christ. And the only way you get the grace and mercy of Christ is repentance. If you're like, I don't need it. I listened to this thing this week and our own president said, I don't need to repent. Like, there's no need for me to repent. I don't have to repent. I try to live my life in such a way that I don't have to repent. That brother's in danger. That brother's in danger. Period. And if you're in this room today and you're sitting here thinking, man, I, my, my good outweighs my bad, your bad will always outdo you. And you are deserving of God's wrath. Period. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So if you're, if you're listening to this this morning, and you're like, man, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I'm going to tell you, the only way you get out of this unscathed is by the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. And the only way you get that is through repentance. That's where you say, Father, I am sorry. God, I've asked that you forgive me and to cleanse me of my unrighteousness and to purify my heart. God, I can't purify my own heart, but God, I know you can. And Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would cleanse my life. You cleanse my heart and you take over and you be the king of my life. I repent. And the scripture promises us, if you confess your sins, that he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive you, to cleanse you from all of it. And here's the thing. For so long, I grew up in the church. And I thought I was okay. Because I'm a pastor's kid. I'm okay. I never realized my wife was the same way. I never understood really, as I was growing up, the gravity of my sin. It's my lies. It's my deceit. It's my theft. It's my adultery of heart. It's my fornication. It's my stuff. My sin is what put Christ on the cross. And it's egregious. And it's deserving of wrath. And the only way I get out of it is Christ has to redeem it. He died on the cross to redeem me of my sins. That sin goes for you. So maybe some of you sitting here this morning go, man, I've never realized that my sin is the reason that Christ had to die. Your sin, not your wife's sin, not your kid's sin, not your dad's sin, not your grandma's sin. Your sin is why Christ died. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. 
Some of you in here might be religiously sitting in the room and be religious, but you're still lost. That was me. I was incredibly religious, but I was lost. And so how, how do we fix that? Repentance. Genuine, true, real repentance. Where we have a sorrow over our sins and we repent sorrowfully over our sins. Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn over their sins, but they shall be comforted. Not those who be like, God's just lucky to have a guy like me. God's not lucky to have a guy like me. God's not up in heaven going, man, I really, really need Caleb on my team. He's not. Like, he's the God of the universe. He doesn't need me. But here's the beautiful thing. He wants me. He wants me. And need and want are totally different. And so... If you're sitting here today and you're like, man, I have allowed the sin of the flesh to grat- I've been gratifying the sin of the flesh. I need to repent of that. I don't, care how, I don't care if you're 104 or 7. I don't care how old you are. Like I've watched more older people come to know Christ in the last 30 years of my life. Like I watched as my father sat and preached and proclaimed the God's word. And I had, saw dozens of older men and women come forward and say, man, I've been in church my entire life. And we dunked, a ton, I mean, we dunked a ton of folks that were older. And in my mind, when I was a teenager, they were really old. But now they're not as old. <laughs> now they're not as old. But um, I just remember seeing older people come to know Christ because they've been in church their whole life and they've heard what they thought was the gospel. And they thought they were saved, but they weren't. And so I want to challenge us. If we're walking in sin and we have no issues with our sin and there's no problems, like I want to challenge us this morning that we would repent and we take time out of our day to say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. And actually ask God to forgive us. Because he will. I'm going to have Aaron, just come up here real quick. I'm going to have Aaron play something, whatever you want to play. And... I'm just going to ask, if you're here this morning, I'm going to stand out here at the front, and you want to come, you want to pray, you want to talk to me, I'm here, if you, don't, you just want to do business, and, and like these front pews, they're not sacred, but we can set them aside this morning and say they're altars, and you want to lay yourself out, and you want to pray before the Lord, I would challenge everyone in the room to say, okay, I need Christ, and I need, how many of us need Christ more today than we needed him yesterday? So what's our excuse for sitting still? We have no excuse in the room. All of us in the room just admit it. And I need Christ more than ever. Like, lay yourself on the altar and say, God, I'm here this morning and I want you more than I wanted you yesterday. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit and show me what it looks like to follow and know you. And so, I'm going to stand here. I'd love to talk to you and pray with you and share more than you need to. Um, but, Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the power of the proclamation of your word, would transform men and women's hearts. Not because of what Caleb said, but by the power of your word and your word alone, that you would regenerate, you would set aflame the hearts of men and women in this room this morning. And they would do business with you and they would no longer play.